The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Who should you avoid in your fantasy baseball drafts? Bus 3.0 is coming up right now. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. We have all the busts coming up later on as well. We got some... Deeper sleepers for those who play in AL and NL only leagues. Got some utility only stuff that I was researching into today. When are some of these players going to gain eligibility in the outfield? If they are going to gain that eligibility, uh, we'll talk about it all. Chris, you have a new song that you're working on. You, I mean, I don't know if we were supposed to reveal it or not, but uh, I'm, I'm no, no. I, I want to record it uh, at some point, so I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I posted a little teaser on. Uh, on Twitter.com uh, for all my, my Harvey Danger heads. So who's that? Keep an eye ear out for it. That was a that was a late nineties alternative rock band who sang the hit song Flagpole Sitta from the Idle Hands soundtrack, I think is where that song is from. I don't know much about the artist, but I do know the song. So you, you... Oh, I think that's their only hit. Oh, for so, sure. That's gotta yeah. be a one hit wonder. What's going on, Scott? How's life? It's fine. It's good. Looking good. Looking suave. Got the polo. Slick back hair. Appreciate it. Yeah, Ken. Got trying to class it up around here with the with the polo. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, Chris and I just out here looking like schlubs. It's no big deal. Scott, you you recently wrote about your bus 3.0, so let's talk about it. Who is your Uh most likely to bust of the new additions that you added to that list? Well, when you put it that way, Frank, I think I would have to say Patrick Corbin, who I just basically want nothing to do with anymore. Uh, The velocity this spring has been what it was basically all of last season. And he was a disaster last season. There was a a dip in velocity. Uh, He ended up having the highest whip among qualifying pitchers. It was just a really awful season for Patrick Corbin. So... You know, it was a weird, obviously a weird season, unusual buildup, all of that. It was, I, I think it was fair to give him a pass heading into spring training, but I really needed to see more than I have uh, to, to have any motivation to take him. I will point out just to argue against myself <laughs> that he was thrown about 88 last spring and then got up to 90 during the regular season. So if you know, if you, play that out the same way. He goes from 90 to 92. Then he is right back to where he was in 2019 and previously. So maybe it'll be fine. But I don't like hearing about how he's working to add a changeup to, to emphasize his changeup again uh, when Scott going hates, away from that. Scott hates when guys are working hard. And it would going away from that and, and really leaning on the slider is what allowed him to break through in the first place. I, I think he's reaching. I think he's reaching because he knows he doesn't have it anymore. Ooh, poor Patrick Corbin for years. I feel like you were on a, in on him before, Scott. I mean, he was fine. He was he was a great pitcher in, in the past couple of seasons. Again, that is Patrick Corbin. The 38th starting pitcher off the board, according to Fantasy Pros. Scott has him all the way down as his SP49. So if you use those rankings, chances are you're not going to wind up with Patrick Corbin. Chris, I know that... Wow, you just zoomed yourself in there. Yeah, yeah, I was too zoomed out. <laughs> I didn't like the look. So just wanted to get a little closer to you guys. Uh, Chris, I know that you also have Patrick Corbin as a bust. Is there anything other than everything Scott said that you would like to emphasize on, on Patrick Corbin? 
Yeah, it's just kind of if if the end were coming, this is what it would look like, I think. Um, I, I will say, like, if he was falling, that would be one thing. But I think he went, like, in the, inside the top 50 in a head-to-head points draft we did yesterday or today. Um, and so, like, if I could get him in the 130 range, I would be okay taking that risk. But because, the, you know, he was... In his breakout 2018 season, I remember he was throwing like 92 miles an hour in April, and then his velocity really crashed, and he was averaging like 89 uh, in May and June, and he never really got back to where he was before then. It didn't really matter. Uh, he was still excellent. However, you know, that was the first year that he went, you know, kind of that Lance McCullers route where he was just throwing his slider like 40% of the time. And, you know, now that the story's out on him, you know, maybe he doesn't have another adjustment left to make. I know he's working on the changeup. Maybe that can be the adjustment. I know uh, in the last few years he had toyed with a curveball at various times. So, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, it's just it's very hard to get excited about him at this point. Chris, let's stick with you here. Player most yeah. likely to bust that you are adding to your bust 3.0 is blank. Oh, adding to my bus 3.0. Okay, that's a different question because my most... Okay, James Karinczak. Karinczak. Karinczak? Karinczak. 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 It does not sound like he's the closer for the Indians. This is not about James Karinczak not being a good pitcher, although I think, you know, there there are some flaws in his game. You know, he's going to give up a lot of walks. He's going to give up uh, a decent amount of home runs relative to how hard he is to square up just because he is a, I mean, it's, it's not even, he's not a fly ball pitcher in the way we normally use that term. He's a fly ball pitcher in that he almost never gives up anything but fly balls. Um, he had a 23% ground ball rate last season. So I can just see a scenario where they don't quite trust him in the ninth inning when they've got Nick Whitgren, who actually sounds like he might be the closer. There have been a lot of, uh, signs coming out that Nick Wickren actually might be the favor for that job, but they've also got Emmanuel Classe who could be the closer. Um, and there's a chance that Karen Chak's ratios aren't quite as good as we want them to be. I think the, the strikeouts will be, you know, incredible. I think he's going to be a 15, 16, 17 K per nine guy, but I just think there is a little room for him to be a little bit disappointing. And especially, I think there's a lot of room for him not to be the closer. Um, at this point, I'd say it's more likely not uh, that he's not the closer. James Karinczak currently has an ADP of 98.4. He's being drafted inside the top 100 yeah. picks as a top 10 relief pitcher in fantasy baseball. Scott, would you like to retort? I know that you were... No, I just, I just wondered what he saw that made him... Was there something concrete you saw or you just kind of... No, it's just been just a lot of... Just vibe? It's been a lot of like reporters saying... I think Nick Whitgren could be the closer. And I feel like that's happening oh. more and more. That's um, pretty concrete. I, I hadn't seen anything like that. Yeah. I actually saw... Yeah, there's been no like comments from the, from the coaching staff yet. I saw this tweet on Tuesday from Tom Withers from the Associated Press, but he also covers the some Cleveland sports teams. And he said, Terry Francona with high praise for Nick Whitgren, who has been reliable and consistent from day one. He could be a close closing option to open the year. So that's about. So I found that I found this quote from Francona. This was from today. It said uh, he's been nothing but a pro. He's been reliable. He's been accountable. He's a leader. He's been a huge part of our bullpen and will continue to be. I, I don't know if you're inclined to believe Woodgren's the closer. I see how you could read that into it. He's been a huge part of our bullpen and will continue to be. You, I, could, I could also see you reading that as he will maintain the same role he's already had. So, yeah, I, no, I, I, I think that's that's all true. But it's also worth saying he's the only one in this bullpen who's gotten save opportunities before. Nick Wickren? He's gotten very few. He has but four career saves, which is uh, <laughs> Karen Jack has zero, right? Uh, one. I, I think mean, he got he, one last. He's got to have at least one, right? Yeah, I think he got one last year. He has one in his career. Yeah, and he, it was last so year. <laughs> he's the only one who's had a stretch uh, where his teams used him that way. Obviously, we're dealing with tiny sample sizes across the board, but um, it's just a little bit of reading the tea leaves for me. And 
when you're talking about a top 100 pick, uh, even when I do think non-closer relievers can have more value than ever, I'm talking about you know, Alex Reyes with one of your last five picks. I'm talking about, um, you know, Devin Williams in the 160, 170 range. You know, I don't see a good reason to draft James Karinczak in the top 100 when Nick Anderson and Devin Williams are going 60 picks later. Yeah, I mean, just to play devil's ad- advocate, I-, I just think it's a high risk, high reward play, Chris, because sure. you're like, if he's not the closer, you're right. I mean, he's still going to be really good, get to a lot of strikeouts and should have awesome ratios. But the reason Scott mentioned him as a breakout back when we did our relief pitcher preview was that if he does wind up being the closer, I mean, he could have an Edwin Diaz type season from a yes. couple of years ago, not having, you know, 50 plus saves. But if he had 35 plus saves with a sub two ERA and, you know, 120 strikeouts or something crazy like that, he's probably a top three reliever. So I, I get why people like the upside yep. of Karen check, but I'm, I'm closer with you. I, I do think there's more downside here. Yeah, like, all of the things you can say in his favor are also true of Nick Whitgren and potentially Devin Williams. I think he's less of a sure thing just because his track record is so much smaller. Not to go on for five minutes about James Karinchak, but um, the article where I found that quote uh, was from Paul Hoynes of Cleveland.com. I'm not sure what newspaper that is. The site's Cleveland.com. And uh, he was kind of suggesting... He, he was interpreting it as Francona wants to go by committee at the start until the roles kind of sort themselves out. So, yep. we'll see. And even that makes it a risky pick inside the top 100. Again, yeah. that is James Karinczak, who Chris will have in his bus 3.0. More busts to come a little bit later on. Just want to promote a few things. If you are trying to stay up to date on all of your sports coverage, whether it's baseball... March Madness, everything that's going on with the NFL, you should be watching CBS Sports HQ. It is free. You can watch it at cbssports.com slash live is the link for that. If you use a streaming device to watch television, Roku and Xbox, PlayStation, whatever it might be, uh, you can download the CBS Sports app and you can watch HQ on there for free. And I wanted to remind everyone that this will be our final bonus mailbag of the preseason of spring training here as uh, we're we're just about a week away from opening day. So this Saturday, we will have a bonus mailbag. Continue to send in your emails. We will try to get to as many as we possibly can. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. And you can drop some questions with an Apple podcast review. We'll grab some from there as well. And send us your bold predictions. Send us some bold predictions via email. Again, Apple podcast review, whatever it might be. We have the superstar Adam Azer coming on the podcast this Thursday night recording, which will come out on this Friday. We're going to ask Adam about some of his favorites, and we'll, and we'll talk about some bold predictions there. So if you send those in, we'll talk about some of them here on the air. And just a few programming notes. If you like watching us live on YouTube for the next two nights, we will be going live between 11 and 11.15 p.m. Eastern time because we have some drafts. Scott and I have a draft tomorrow, and uh, Chris has a draft on Thursday. So again, the next two nights, we will be starting a little bit later on the YouTube side of things. Some news and notes. Fernando Tatis left Tuesday's game and has been initially diagnosed with left shoulder discomfort. He will be reevaluated on Wednesday. Scott, if you are drafting right now, you're in the middle of a draft. First round just started. Are you worried at all about Fernando Tatis, or are you taking whatever discount you can get? I am taking whatever discount I could get. Like, I was already inclined to slot him behind Acuna and Betts and maybe not Soto, but certainly in a points league Soto. You know, I think that makes this makes that decision easier. But the latest I saw was that he's he's dealt with soreness in that shoulder off and on over the years, has kind of has a good idea of how to manage it. Uh, He said he probably would have kept playing if it was a regular season game. So it doesn't sound like a big deal. Well, no more tomorrow, though, it sounds like. Yeah, and um, I I feel like I don't have any data to back this up, but I feel like this happens right at the end of spring training every year. Some kind of superstar gets banged up and just as a result is going to slip a little bit further in a draft than they should, or you're going to get them a little bit cheaper in a salary cap draft than they should go for, uh, and they just wind up being perfectly fine. They're healthy by opening day and just... They go on to be awesome. So if you're drafting in the next couple of days before we have concrete information on Fernando Tatis, I'm willing to just say, all right, any discount I can get here, I, I would be I would be willing to take that with Fernando Tatis. We have a Zach Gallon update. 
He has a hairline stress fracture in his right forearm. Manager Tori Lavulo said Gallen will continue playing catch during this first phase. Not sure what that means. And did not offer a timeline. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you're a doctor or not, but uh, can you help me out here? Zach Gallen. I know he's not a doctor. I am not a doctor. <laughs> he might, he might um, moonlight as one, you know, yeah, at like 1 a.m. when we finish up every night. But I kind of think this isn't bad news. It's certainly better than I thought it was. Um, you know, a fracture tends to heal more predictably than other types of injuries. And, you know, we're, we're not talking about something that happened while he was pitching. It's not something that, you know, you can look at and say, well, the stress of him pitching caused this hairline fracture. It was just a ball fouled off his forearm, right? Is that what happened? Um, I know it happened while he was swinging. I don't know exactly what the scenario was. And so that really tells me that I, I just... It's going to take how long it takes to heal, and we don't know yet, but the fact that he's going to keep being able to throw is a good sign. Um, Wait, all isn't, of, isn't a stress fracture caused by stress, or is that a, a misnomer? I thought it was a hairline fracture he had. I think that I thought that was did what the, it was Did the terms get used interchangeably? Because I thought I, I saw I, stress yeah, fracture, I don't know. which yeah. I interpreted to mean is repeated. This tweet, I don't know. A repeated action caused it. This um, tweet that I, I don't know. got from uh, <laughs> Nick Piacoro, I believe it is, said uh, it combined the two terms. It was a hairline stress fracture. <laughs> so, <laughs> for our That's doctors out there, I, I've seen a few people. I mean, it's all speculation. We don't have a timetable at this point, but I, I've seen three to four weeks on the lower end. And I've seen some people say six to eight weeks on Twitter. I mean, no one knows for yeah. sure. We're just yeah. kind of guessing. Well, but like six, but six to I eight mean, weeks is, a, is how long it takes for a fracture of a bone of typical density you know a hand bone could be four to six weeks a femur is going to be a lot longer than six to eight weeks but uh, that's just kind of the general timeline for a broken bone but this being a small fracture and him still throwing through it so presumably that means it's going to speed up the ramp up process and what i interpret from that during this phase is as he recovers he can do more than just play catch so I, I, you know, I, I'm just like, who do I want more, Gallon or Carrasco? Yesterday, yeah. I would have said Gallon for sure. Now, I think it, you, you still say Gallon, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any reason to think Carrasco will be back sooner. Um, you know, we don't have a timeline for either of them, but I would guess they're going to be back around the same range. And we all had Gallon ahead of Carrasco before this. Carrasco's had one the hamstring. Yeah, it was a little more than that, but hand, uh, Carrasco had the elbow issue that we kind of forgotten about because of the hamstring issue. Um, and both of those seem more likely to recur than a fracture in the forearm that was caused by swinging a bat. Obviously, that is just conjecture. I'm not a doctor, but uh, this sounds like once that bone is healed, Gallon should be fine. And he should be back relatively quickly after that. So, Scott. Whereas, yeah, ahead. so I, I would think, like, my my prior right now is probably Gallon is back around the start of May. So, Scott, are you saying that you're going to drop Gallon? Because you have him at SP32. Are you going to drop him down to that Carrasco range? You have Carrasco at SP48. Yeah, I would. I would say so. You know, obviously subject to change as we know more. We just don't know much right now. So I'm kind of, I, I kind of said it when Carrasco got hurt. Like my default view, <laughs> especially for starting pitchers who are having to cut down their ramp up process, like six to eight weeks. Uh, you, you give me better guidance than that. That's kind of what I'm going with. George Springer was diagnosed with a grade two oblique strain on Tuesday. The Blue Jays are optimistic he'll be ready for opening day, but I am not yeah, so that, uh... sure. That does not that does not jibe with what we understand about oblique strains, which are like it is incredibly rare that a player has an oblique strain and doesn't go on the IL. And so right there, you're talking about eight days mm-hmm. from opening day to now. Now I think this injury happened a couple of days ago, so maybe you could. But like, if it really is a grade two strain, that to me, again, this is just my interpretation based on what we've seen in the past, but 
that's the kind of thing that in my head, I think, well, that's a month at least. And oblique strains, anecdotally at least, oblique strains seem to have just about as many setbacks as more setbacks than any other injury. Here's the here's the full line from Ross Atkins, the Blue Jays GM. His symptoms and all of his baseball movements and patterns are incredibly encouraging. We're extremely optimistic about his strength, about his range of motion, especially his rotational movements, that he could be playing baseball very soon. And it sounds like he was playing with tightness in the area and then there was some inflammation. So that's when they sent him in for an MRI. Um, no, I'm, I'm not really disagreeing with what you're saying. It's just adding a little context to it. Like it, and it I, sounds like he's moving like a baseball player should for the most part. And the, the, they're hoping he'll be ready for opening day. The quote actually was Springer is quote, extremely motivated and driven to be ready by opening day, which is very different from, the people running our medical staff expect him to be healthy and able to play on opening day. Every player is going to say, yeah, I'm going to be back for the next game. But that doesn't necessarily mean they will be. Uh, This is all, you know, this is all still heavily conjecture, but just based on, I would be surprised if he doesn't miss at least some time. I'm not saying we need to move him down significantly, but a grade two oblique strain. It just, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you can be back from in eight days. Yeah. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem good. I remember judge had this oblique a couple of years ago. I, he was out at least a month. He might've been out two months and it, it is an injury that you could very easily uh, re aggravate. So, I mean, Scott, uh, you're going to drop Springer in your rankings. Like a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Would a you, little bit. Would you rather have him or Grisham right now who is dealing with a hamstring injury himself? I'd still rather have Springer. Okay, so that means you're probably going to wind up dropping Springer like five or six spots in your outfield ranks. Um, all right, so we'll see. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Find out. Uh, uh, go ahead. Let me look at it right now and see. Yeah, you have Springer at outfielder 11. You have Grisham at 17. When this news broke, like I had just finished like a two-hour update of my rankings, and it's like I got to move on to other things. So that's why they're not updated yet. Um, but uh, Springer, drop him behind Tucker, Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert for Roto, and that's about it. I'd I'd still take Springer over Castellanos as much as I like Castellanos. All right, so you're probably getting maybe a round or two discount there on George Springer if you are optimistic. Let's stick with the Blue Jays. A bunch of stuff going on with the Blue Jays. Robbie Ray will miss one spring start after bruising his elbow while falling down some stairs. Baseball players find the most interesting ways to get hurt or maybe it's just reported more in baseball than other sports. I don't know. It's just like they always get hurt. So odd, but uh, Robbie Ray still hopes to be ready for the start of the regular season. Kirby Yates, elbow injury is serious enough, serious enough to shut him down for the season and will probably lead to his second Tommy John surgery. I have moved Jordan Romano all the way up to RP 14, but maybe not mm. high enough because Scott has him inside of his top 12 relievers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I say that because I feel like Romano's clearly the guy. What what contradicts that is that um, <laughs> the Blue Jays manager is is uh, is not committing to a guy. But that's just kind of like the standard line for all managers now. And and you got the pitching coach talking him up as a closer. You uh, even before this injury happened to Kirby Yates, he was talking Romano up as a closer, waiting to. You don't happen. need to name a closer. Is the thing. It's not like you have to draw up a lineup card that says Jordan Romano is in our closer spot. Right. And when that's the case in pretty much all sports, every coach is going to be like, oh, well, you know, you know we wanna, we've got a lot of guys we believe in and we really, you know, we really trust anyone in that role. And, you know, we're going to go with, uh, you know, the, the guy who who's, gives us the best chance to win. And it's like, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, it's... And then you're going to do yeah, that two I, days in a row with Jordan Romano, and then you're going to tell reporters that he's the closer. Like that, That's how well, this is going to work. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I think it, it's a fairly recent phenomenon that they've kept it so close to the vest like that, but I think they just realized there's no, there's no upside to naming one as opposed to just letting it reveal itself. Uh, Chris, can you just do an entire podcast in your manager voice? Because you were just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's pretty yeah, good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, you know, this, he's, he's, a, he's a really hard, he's a fierce competitor. He's got the makeup for it. But, you know, we've got a lot of trust in a lot of guys in the back, in the back end of the bullpen. And, uh, you know, we really think any one of those guys can go out and give us a chance to win. So, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to, you know, t- take each game one at a time and, you know, really, you know, just, we're, we're just trying to win games here. You missed your calling, Chris. Alex Kirloff has been optioned to the Twins' alternate training site. He was 4 for 31 with eight strikeouts this spring. Is this a see-you-in-two-weeks type of situation, Scott? I think he has to hit first. I, I think he could have won the, the the left field job from the start if he had a good spring. But you like somebody in that position really has to force the issue because the, the financial incentives to, for sending them down two weeks are just too great that you can't blame any team when the player makes it that easy to send them down. You can't blame any team for doing that. Um, but I think as soon as we, as soon as Kira, I think as soon as the twins are satisfied that Kirilov is, is on a roll and uh, you know, they, they can plug him in and he can hit the ground running. I think he'll be up. Trent Grisham is of course dealing with a hamstring injury. He took part in a simulated game on Tuesday. He hasn't run at 100% yet, but Still has a shot to be ready for opening day. And this isn't really news, but it is, I, I would say, noteworthy. Maybe it's noteworthy for some people. Get it out of your system now, Walker Bueller. He allowed nine earned runs in, in his start on Tuesday against the Brewers, which included 10 hits. Four of those were home runs. Uh, he did get his pitch count up to 80. So that was the, the positive there. But uh, yeah, happy to see it now than in the regular season. Walker Bueller. Now, I, I have Walker Bueller as a bust for this year, but it has nothing to do. This start does not influence my thinking on that anyway. It yeah, really isn't even a performance concern, period. The fact that he's up to 80 pitches, like, that's usually what I expect from Walker Bueller in, like, June. Yeah. Right, he's more so. built up than usual at, at this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yeah. didn't throw 80 pitches until his third start last season. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just a really weird start to the year for everyone, but, I mean... And his third start in 2019. Yeah. All right. No, I mean, it's definitely noteworthy that he's, he's getting that pitch count up. So good to see that from Bueller, but uh, definitely not the nine earned runs or four home runs. Let's get back into the bus 3.0 and jump back in with one of yours here, Chris. Well, let's just jump lump these together because I saw these. You sent them over to me and you got to explain yourself a little bit. You have DJ LeMayhew and Matt Olson, both on your bus list. Explain yourself. Well, I don't. I don't think Matt Olson really needs an explanation. He was a bust in twenty twenty, so I think we can just move on. No, um, in both of these cases, it's just that I think you're paying a premium for production that you can get from other places. Um, like I have DJ Lemayhew as my number one second baseman, but I have him one spot ahead of Wood Merrifield. I have him five spots ahead of Ozzy Albies and I have him uh, 11 spots ahead of Catal Marte. And I could actually, I think it's close to a coin flip on Catal Marte and DJ LeMahieu. I think they're going to be very, very similar players. They have very, very similar skill sets. And so for me, it's more about not wanting to pay, you know, a full round ahead of Ozzy Albies, a round and a half ahead of Whit Merrifield. The number four second baseman in ADP is actually Kevin Biggio, who's three rounds behind him, and then Brandon Lau. Catal Marte is 50 picks after DJ LeMahieu. And so it just, to me, it's paying, it's, it's, a, it's a simple, you're paying for a name and not necessarily the Who's production. more likely to hit 330 than DJ LeMahieu? Like, well, it I seems like anybody's. the single safest. You're calling DJ LeMahieu a bust? Yeah. Again, it's like, it's not. He does it's not. Nobody, no other player does. How are you saying? I mean, Cadell Marte hit. Cadell Marte hit three thirty two years right. ago, and he hit two eighty seven that again? down year. Do you, I don't expect DJ Lemayhew to hit two three thirty. Do you expect anybody? Like, if who do you I think most likely someone, to lead the majors in batting average? This I year? expect someone to hit three thirty. I don't expect anybody to do it. If that but, makes sense. Uh, okay, who who do you think's going to lead them? If you had to pick one player to lead the majors in batting average this year, who would it be? Because it would be LeMahieu for me. Yes. I think he's the odds-on favorite, and not just saying uh, that. That sounds right. Yeah, maybe Luis Arias, because he's you know such a contact. But like, I think he's more enough. likely to hit 300 than 330, DJ LeMahieu. Like, mm. I just... You're drafting he might, he him... Might, 
you're drafting him with the expectation he'll be a standout, not with, oh, he can do it. Like, Tel Marte mm-hmm. can hit 330. DJ LeMahieu is being drafted as if he's going to do that kind of thing. He is, and I just don't think he I, is. I will, if you, I would set the over under LeMahieu for 315, probably. I would take the under. Okay. And Scott, you would take the. I would. I'm setting the over under, so I'm taking 315. <laughs> oh. All right. I mean, yeah. Isn't that how that works? He's the odds maker. Um, yeah, no, I, I think as a general rule of thumb for any type of fantasy sport, Chris, you're probably right that buying a player at his peak ADP uh, coming off a career year is probably not the most profitable thing that you could do. So I I mean, I, I get it from that perspective. It's just, I mean, his lineup context and everything that he's proven the past two years is just... It's hard to get away from it, but yeah, I mean, look for you. He returns. He returned second round value in 2019. I, I mean, 2020 was even better. Yes, right. He's good. Like 20, this is not. This is not a DJ LeMay who's bad. It's not a Matt Olson is bad. No, it's a. I think they're being overvalued, and I think you can get similar production. Yeah, uh, it's the same way that we felt about Pete Alonso last year. I mean, I I still kind of feel that yeah, way about but Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso was the second rounder last year. Matt Olson's like an eighth rounder this year. Right, I, I think I think Matt Olson's being over. I still think Matt Olson. I, I being actually think Matt Olson is one of the most undervalued players in drafts right now. Because yeah, see, I don't know how you can make that argument when Joey Gallo is going Pete 50, 50 going, picks later. Right, but Pete Alonso is better than Matt Olson. I don't think I don't think I see them both as two fifty hitters with forty home runs. I, I think they're mirror images of each other. I think I think Joey Gallo might hit two ten. You yeah. know. Pete Alonso, he, he might be able to eat out a 240 batting average. Pete, Pete Alonso is better than Matt Olson. He is not 35 mm. picks better than Matt Olson, especially uh-huh. inside. You the, guys really like Pete Alonso. No, no, <laughs> this I is mean the second day in a row we've argued about how good Pete Alonso actually. I is. just like we've His, seen 59 games from Matt Olson where he was awesome in 2017. We saw 127 games where he was really good in 2019. Mm-hmm. We saw 162 games where he was. Eh, in 2018, and we saw 60 really, really bad games for Matt Olson in 2020. I mean, a small sample, and he hit 14 home runs in those 60 games. So, and yeah. his, his bad ball data. He's going to hit home runs. That's not a question. His <laughs> bad ball like, data was better last year than it ever was. Again, for, for none Olson. of this is arguing that Matt Olson's not good. I'm arguing that he's being overdrafted. I'm arguing that there are similar players Joey Gallo, Miguel Sano, Fran Mil Reyes. I, uh, there, are, there are multiple other ones. That you can Randall Reyes, I think, is undervalued too, but he's obviously utility yeah. only, so that that hurts. Right, but like first, like being able to slot someone in at first base versus only utility, like I don't think that has sixty picks of value. Yeah, I, I would um, say the the biggest difference why you think he's overvalued versus I mean I'm more likely to draft medals than you are, Chris, is because uh, you I guess you think his floor is that he can repeat a near 200 batting average. I just, I don't think he's going to come anywhere close to that. I think, yeah, that, that seems really fluky. Well, no, I, even if it's not that, I think like 2018, he was super disappointing. Yeah. But nobody was drafting him. He was, it was his, it was his first full season in the majors. Like Miguel, he did not, he did not deliver the power production we've seen from him every other year. He's been the the only, so it was really, it was really, he underachieved as a power hitter in that first full season. The only two seasons where Matt Olson has not missed significant time, either in the minors or due to injury. He's been a disappointment. We're going off of 127 games in 2019, where he's an elite power hitter. And then 2017, 2017, 59 games where he gets called up and was awesome. But wouldn't like, you argue Alonzo was a disappointment last year too, though? I mean, you're, you're kind of giving Alonzo the pass that you're not giving Matt Olson for the short season. Uh, Alonzo was a disappointment. He had an OPS 80 points higher than Matt Olson's. 80 points over a 60-game season is nothing. Right, but he was also 50 points better in 2019, and he hit 53 home runs. Like I, I don't think there's... like. Where if you want to argue Matt Ol- Pete Alonso is overrated, that's fine. But this like Pete Alonso and Matt Olson aren't different. Like I can't get on board with that. I think okay. that is just way off. I think the data is very similar. All very right. similar. We've we've got to move on from Matt Olson. <laughs> talked about him a lot. Uh, Scott, you have added Nolan Arenado to your bus 3.0. We talked about him recently. Uh, he's not. He hasn't looked great in the spring so far. He's batting 194, only one extra base hit, and he dealt with a 
left shoulder injury last year. And of course, he's not in Coors Field anymore. So I don't really think there's anything much more to add to that unless you want to. We can move on to a different player. It's up to you. Yeah, I think it's just too risky. I'd, I'd like to see the ADP drop more than it has. And, you know, the fact he's still going around 30th on average is just... I would have been nervous to take him there even if he was still in Colorado because I don't know what's going on with his shoulder. Mm-hmm. There are a few drafts where I've seen him fall outside the top 50, and if that's the case, then I will I will pounce on Nolan Arenado. I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm probably more likely to draft him than either of you based on that. Uh, Lance Lynn. Scott, you added to your bus 3.0. And um, there are some positives, there are some negatives here, but like, what's what's the driving force here for for Adam? Yeah, so it, it's a complicated one because like, I'll there's certainly a point where I'll take Lance Lynn at his ADP just because like you, I'm all about quantity over at starting pitch at starting pitcher, and you can't get that picky about it. You just kind of have to take what comes to you, and you know, some of them are gonna fail, but if you have enough of them, it'll be okay. I just think. Lance Lynn is certainly not somebody I would draft enthusiastically or reach up for because like the XFIP was over 430 last year. Uh, the, the strikeout rate was down. The swinging strike rate was down. Like a lot of what we liked about him in 2019 did not carry over to 2020. It looked like it did. Cause you know, the, the ERA and everything was fine, but the underlying numbers were actually much more similar to, 2018 when he had an ERA over 450, I want to say. Uh, so I could certainly see things going very wrong for him. I think people have gotten a little too sanguine. That's that's basically what it comes down to for me. Yep, and the ADP for Lance Lynn right now, according to Fantasy Pros, is 52.2, so he's going right around that 4-5 turn if you play in a 12-team league. I haven't drafted any Lance Lynn yet either. I... The positives, I, I see, like, he's going to be a workhorse, nice division division of pitching. He has, he has Monty Grandal as his catcher, which is all great. But, of course, I mean, the XFIP was as high as it was because he, he allowed more fly balls than ever before. He had a career-high fly ball rate last season at 42%, and now he's moving over to a more hitter-friendly ballpark in, in Chicago. So Yeah, the, the AL West is the most pitcher-friendly venue-wise. Mm-hmm. So leaving that is not a great thing for any fly ball pitcher. I'm yeah, out. I, I thought I was going to be relatively high on Lance Lynn when I had him as SP 17, but I don't think I've drafted him at all this season. I, I think, I think I'm a little higher on him than you guys are. Uh, I, I do believe in the, the skill set and, um, you know, the, the fact that he's able to get strikeouts with his weird approach. I does think, I do think it makes him, you know, s- somewhat more likely to outperform his peripherals than your average pitcher, but um, I definitely haven't made him a priority this year. And maybe I need to move him down in the overall ranks because there's kind of a tier that drops off with him to Hyunjin Ryu, who I have a lot more of. Yeah, so. I, I see him. I, I've referred to the Lance Lynn line before where I kind of see him behind t- between tiers. Everybody above Lance Lynn, I trust for volume and ratios. Everybody below Lance Lynn, I think either has a volume issue or a ratio issue. Yeah. And he's kind of, maybe he'll be both, but I, I have my doubts. If you were watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. But when we, uh, if you're wa- listening to the podcast, then we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Zach Plesak, let's talk about him here. Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. 
So everyone knows that Chris is a little bit more down on police act than Scott has been, and we've talked about it a ton. But I don't want to react too much to the spring. But he just hasn't been good. Zach Plesak has not been good in the spring so far. And and normally, I, I would say it doesn't matter for someone who's more established, but he's not. He's just not established. Like, we were drafting this guy inside the top 80 picks based on eight starts from last year. And I have been guilty. I've ranked him inside my top 25 starters all offseason long. Five spring starts for Zach Plesak, 18 innings pitched, 23 hits allowed, 14 earned runs, seven home runs allowed, 17 strikeouts is fine. That equals out to a 7.00 ERA and a 1.50 whip. So I don't think you need to dive all that deep into it, Chris. But this is kind of uh, this is kind of rough this spring. Well, and 17 strikeouts actually isn't that great because that's a 20.9 percent strikeout rate, which is what what we're seeing here is the difference between K per nine and strikeouts strikeout rate and small sample size, and why you should default to strikeout uh, rate because. Uh, pitchers who give up a lot of hits and don't make a lot of outs will have a higher strikeout per nine because they have more opportunities to get a strikeout per inning. Um, but look, it, it's not about spring. This is a small sample size. It's a weird situation. You're not facing normal guys, all that stuff. But it's 40% of the total batters faced that he had in 2020. He had like 204 in 2020 and uh, 81 so far in the spring. So you can't say it's nothing. And Zach Plesak is being drafted because of 2020. This is not uh, something where like, oh, we saw some stuff in 2019 where we really liked him. And then he built on it. It was like he was outside the top 400 going into 2020. He made those eight great starts. And now he's inside the top eight. So any sample size that detracts from that 200 batter sample size from 2020, I think is worth looking at. It's not, I haven't moved him down to be clear in my spring, in my rankings because of spring. Uh, I just don't have him very high. I have him like one, 120. Yeah. 120 overall right behind uh, Sandy Alcantara and Denelson Lamette in my rankings. And the ADP for Plesak is 76.6, so he's going much higher than that. Uh, yeah. Scott, just a few words. Are you worried at all about this spring? No. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd rather his spring confirm what I already suspect. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think I think that's mostly what spring performance does. If there are no factors like, oh, his velocity's down. Oh, we're worried about this one pitch of his. Oh, we're just worried about him in general. You're not hearing any of that. In fact, you're hearing just the opposite. And I know uh, he said after this start specifically, he was he was most focused on just making sure he was having he was throwing every pitch in the strike zone. So kind of, you know, in spring training, pitchers who already have jobs, they're not trying to pitch well. They're just trying to get ready. And so that's why a lot of times you'll see really good pitchers have awful springs and then they turn it on as soon as the regular season starts. So, you know, I, I don't really make much of anything of this. I obviously don't know what's going to happen with Zach. Please, Zach. I don't know. That's... If, if he was one of only three high-end pitchers I drafted or potentially high-end three pitchers, I, I would be nervous. But I would have been before spring training started, too. If he's one of five, then, you know, whatever. Let's just see how it goes. I think he could be good still. Let's stick with the starting pitchers. Sonny Gray is in, in your bus 3.0, Scott. And he he was a weird pitcher to evaluate even before he, he's dealing with this mid-back strain. Uh, last year, I mean, the walks have always been an issue for Sonny Gray, but last year they were up over four walks per nine for him, and his swinging strike rate just doesn't really add up to the strikeouts that he gets. And of course, again, he's dealing with a mid-back strain, suffered that same injury last year. So, I mean, Scott, I mean, I, of course, there's a point where he would fall where you would be willing to draft him, but um, I mean, if he's going anywhere close to where he was before, I mean, you're just out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the back issues dating back to last year. And, like, basically, he he was amazing at the start of last season, missing a ton of bats. Looked like he was the Cy Young front runner, And then his effectiveness dropped off before he even missed time with the injury. And then when he came back, it still wasn't quite like he was missing bats before. So the fact he's still dealing with that same mid-back area now a whole offseason later, like, that just... That just tells me he's going to have trouble regaining that effectiveness we saw at the end of 2019 and the very beginning of 2020. And so kind of like a mid, a mid-range a mid outcome is all I'm really hoping for from Sonny Gray, and there's a chance it could go wrong from there. Chris, you, you've 
added Dominic Smith to your bus, and his Fantasy Pros ADP is 118, but I will point out that he's dropping in the NFBC ADP the last two weeks. That's down to 131, so 13 picks. With a max pick, one draft, he slipped all the way to pick 203. So I understand, I mean, there's stuff going on with Dom Smith, the risk, playing time, but I mean, if he's starting to fall... Are you still are you still considering him a bust if he's you know one thirty or one forty ADP? No, not if he's falling to that range. Yeah, um, you know if he goes one forty, I think it's a lot easier to stomach. What what I think are the risks there? Which you know, it's not just like the risk. It seems fine. I think he was back in the lineup today. It's not just the defense, although he might be the worst defensive outfielder in baseball. Uh, I think of the four guys who have a worse UZR one fifty over the last two seasons. J.D. Martinez is one of them, and I think the other three might not be on a team right now. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's it's a combination of several things where, you know, he basically has 200 plate appearances in each of the last two seasons where he's been this really, really good hitter. That's a really small sample size. If, if a guy had 400 really good plate appearances in one season, I think we would treat that with a certain level of skepticism, uh, especially if he had, you know, a track record of not performing well the fact that it happened over two seasons i think we're like well you know there was an off season in between it and he did it for two seasons but like i don't think that necessarily changes the statistical like arguments against you know how long it takes skill sets to you know become stable how long it takes for you know various stats to stabilize all that stuff so I just think it, you know, a ninth round pick is just, it's a little too much for me to pay for a guy who uh, I have those questions about. Um, like if he was playing four times a week by the third week of the season, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. I see what you're saying too. It's, it's tough because I actually really like the player. I, I think, you know, everything we've seen the past two years, like I'm buying in, he had prospect pedigree. He's still pretty young. He's longer, younger than Pete Alonzo. I've mentioned that before. And, the StatCast numbers back up everything. Youngest player in their lineup. Yeah. The StatCast numbers right back up what Dom Smith did last year. He makes really hard contact. He hits well against lefties. It's just a matter of him you know, playing adequate enough defense, which that's not even the word. He's not going to be adequate. He's, he's going to be below average in the outfield. Uh, but just enough for them to stomach that. You know, His bat needs to be that that much better. So we'll see what happens with the playing time. I, I, I get the risk. but And, you know, 2019, the underlying batted ball numbers were not particularly strong so you know he really only has the one 200 plate apparent season in 2020 where everything looked good so you know it's just i think there are questions yeah you painted the downside i do think the upside for dom smith though is that you know we're drafting him inside the top 50 picks next year if he hit 300 with 30 home runs it really would not surprise me so scott Kenley Jansen is on your bus 3.0, but I feel like we've talked about him. You know, he lost his job in the postseason, past two seasons, so he's getting older. You feel like it's going to happen yeah, at some point, all, right? All my busts are uh, just yada yada yada, right? That's no, all you hear. Right? No, no, <laughs> I just don't <laughs> no, spend too much. I don't want to spend too much time on, on guys that we've talked no, about I, I recently. So, um, Marcus Semyon, I, I I haven't seen this name on your list before. Why are you worried about him? Well, I just surprised nobody else seems to be like he's not being drafted that much lower than he was last year when he was coming off a near MVP season. And um, I, I, like to me, I, I, you know, I was pretty high on him coming off that season. I thought, okay, some of these underlying numbers, I could see how he made some changes. This looks like he might be able to sustain it, Simeon. Uh, but 2020 just made it crystal clear to me. One of these things is not like the others looking over his whole career. Like he's a low 700s OPS guy. Didn't even quite get there last year. Um, but that's consistently what he's been. I think people are really banking on him leaving Oakland, going to a smaller park actually in Dunedin, Florida to start out, but still a smaller park than Oakland. Still a good hitters park, we think. Um, and, and and thinking that's going to transform him. It's possible, but I mean, like he always hit about the same at home as he did on the road. Like the splits are pretty even. I, I don't, I don't look at the numbers and say, okay, this guy was held back by his park. I think, I think I'm anticipating like a 250 batting average, 15 to 20 homers, maybe 10 steals, 
from Marcus Simeon, which I, I just don't think, I just don't, I, I just, I don't think that merits the the price tag. I mean, we were doing a draft today. He went ahead of Javier Baez, and I'm like, what are you doing? What In are a you points doing? league, I, I can see that just because of the walk rate. Yeah, he does walk a decent amount. You're you're clearly bouncing, counting on a much like none of us really have any doubts. Baez is going to bounce back, right? I mean, not really. And then, I, and I like you're you're counting so, you're counting on Marcus Simeon being more than pre 2019 Marcus Simeon if you're taking him ahead of Baez regardless of the format. Yeah, I I would think there are probably two arguments. And and, and I'm not saying these are reasons to draft. I would take Javier Baez ahead of him. Um, Baez probably is going to bat sixth for the Cubs as well. I I think he's batted sixth pretty much exclusively in the spring when they've had something like their normal lineup. And so, um, you know, we do think Simeon's going to be in a better lineup. He's going to bat second in that lineup, most likely, potentially lead off if Springer's injury lingers and so in a points league you know you could be talking about the difference between a, a number two hitter and a number six hitter being like a half a plate appearance per game so you know i could see that mattering but no i don't have Simeon ahead of um javier bias i'll just say i i think he probably hits like 255 um I think he's probably between 15 and 20 homers. I think he's probably between 10 and 15 steals. Yeah, you could get those kind of stats yeah. so much later than he's going. I agree. I think a lot of it's just like he could score a ton of runs at the top of that lineup. Like if he's a 340 on base percentage guy and bats second in that lineup, he could, you know. But you if he's only a 340 on base percentage guy, if he's hitting 250, does does he bat second all year? Yeah, they mean, had other candidates for that spot. He's a career 322 OBP, so... Right, but he's had a spike in walk rate the last couple of seasons. That does seem... But even uh, even with that, I mean, it's been... It was 305 last year, 369 right. in the breakout season, 318, right. 325. I mean, I, I'm, I'm closer with you, Scott. It's just his OPS every season since he's become a full-time player in 2015, 715, 735, 722, 706, 892, 679. And of course, the 892 came in 2019 with... The famous juice ball. So maybe to a certain extent, I, I think there's some just it's an artifact of what's happening to anybody who could steal 10 bases and, and hit, you know, 15 homers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I get it. I, I don't I don't have him as a bust. I don't I don't think I've drafted him more than a couple times, but I I, I, I get it both ways. Bust 3.0 in the books. You could find all of our writing about those busts on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. I was looking into looking into some of these util only bats just because some people have been asking, you know, when we expect them to gain position eligibility, if they are going to gain any type of position eligibility. And I will say much more optimistic about JD Martinez and Jorge Soler. I'll point out Soler on a few of the other sites already has outfield eligibility, but on CBS, you need 10 games played, from a position last year to have that eligibility and, and Jorge Soler did not get there. So on CBS, he is util only for now. Uh, JD Martinez has started seven of 15 games in the outfield this spring. And even if the Red Sox only played him in the outfield for national league road games, they play their fifth road game by May 23rd. But I would, I would guess based on how they're using him that he probably has outfield eligibility by late April. That's JD Martinez. Jorge Soler has played has started nine of 16 games in the outfield this spring. And uh, I would say that their best lineup very clearly has Jorge Soler playing in right field with Whit Merrifield at second. Um, I don't know if they're going to do that every single day, but even if they did it once or twice a week, Soler is another one that could have outfield eligibility by the end of April. Jordan Alvarez and Giancarlo Stanton, completely different story. Alvarez has started all six of his games this spring at DH, and Houston does not play their fifth National League road game until August 1st. And that is also assuming that he plays the field in all five of those games. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I can't guarantee you that. I don't even know where you would play. Would he play first base? Would he play outfield? So that's the thing. I have no idea. He has two avenues to getting in the lineup. And they, they have talked about having him play a little bit. I'm looking at an article from a couple weeks ago. It sounds like they do want to, it's from The Athletic, they do want to get him some reps at first base before spring is over. I don't know if that's going to come in a game, but the thing is, 
as we learned with Anthony Rizzo a couple of years, you don't actually have to play a position for even a full inning to get a appearance there. If you make one appearance, if you play one play, and it's an out, I guess, or a hit, or a walk, <laughs> uh, that counts as an appearance at that position. And so, you know, maybe you have a, you know, a couple of times early on in the season where Jordan Alvarez, someone gets hurt, they need to get someone out, you know, they put him in left field when he's on, on an off day or something for like the last two innings, or, you know, he makes an, a he makes a pinch hit appearance late in a game where he's not playing and then, uh, you know, plays first base because they've got a fly ball pitcher in or something like, like it's with him versus Stan. I think because first base and left field are an option, it's probably more likely that he gets some kind of additional eligibility, but in neither case does it seem particularly likely to happen quickly. I, I will point out that with Stanton, um, he has said, he's told Aaron Boone he doesn't need to play any outfield this spring. He'll be ready to go whenever they need to put him out there. It's not mm-hmm. worth taking the risk in spring training. So it's, I don't know that I ne- necessarily read anything into the fact he hasn't played any outfield this spring, just based on that. And it, you know, it'll only take five appearances. So I, I expect Stanton will get it at some point. Yeah. I would rank the, the likeliness of these Utah only players to gain outfield eligibility order. Uh, eligibility in the order of J.D. Martinez, Soler, then probably Stanton, and then Jordan Alvarez, and and that you know, and that's with like how quick I think that they're going to gain it as yeah. well. Uh, let's just wrap up with some deeper sleepers, Scott. You wrote an article recently about uh, thirty deep sleepers, and I think this is relevant for anyone who plays, you know, obviously in in just deeper mixed leagues, but also for anyone who plays in AL only and NL only, we don't typically talk about them all that much because frankly, there's not a lot of people that play AL and NL only anymore. Uh, so we'll just kind of go rapid fire here and anyone that you want to talk about, Chris, if you want to jump in, if there's a name that we say that that excites you, uh, we will just run through some of the catchers here. Alejandro Kirk, Tom Murphy, Francisco Mejia, Dom Nunez. Yeah, Mejia and Nunez are the ones I find myself drafting the most, basically, in those two-catcher 15-team leagues where I'm waiting until my last two picks to fill catcher. I mean, Mejia was, for a long time, the top-catching prospect in baseball. Never really got an extended look in either Cleveland or San Diego. The race seemed more likely to play him consistently because Mike Zunino is terrible. And Dom Nunez... uh, 17 homers in 213 at-bats with a 921 OPS his last year in the minors, 2009. He bats left-handed. Supposed to be backing up Elias Diaz to start the year, but um, considering he bats left-handed, like I-, I could see him claiming the larger portion of the share of that. And then, uh, you know, obviously Coors Field's at his disposal. Alejandro Kirk is someone that I've been drafting a lot as my second yeah. closer. And uh, so far in the gotcha. spring... He's, uh, yeah, he's my second catcher. Excuse me. He is seven for 22 in the spring with two home runs. Awesome batting average in the minors. I would expect him to hit for batting average if he plays, but of course, Danny Jansen is still on the team. So um, I, I think it's Kirk. one of those pay attention early on in the season to see who how, what that split is. But if Kirk is out playing him, I think we could see him take over that role pretty soon. And Kirk in the ATC projections is actually projected to be the sixth best hitter at catcher by Woba. Obviously, that's, you know, the playing time is, is the big thing. He's only projected for 64 games, but um, they have, you know, that has him right above Travis Darno. He's a really good hitter. He's a yep. really good hitter. Tons of contact and yep. some power, too. I'm excited about Alejandro Kirk. At first base, Joey Votto, who we really have not talked about much, and then Bobby Bradley who is kind of in a first base battle with uh, Jake Bowers for the Cleveland Indians. And he's looked really good. He lost a ton of weight in the offseason. So Votto and Bradley. Yeah. yeah, he's always had huge power in the minors. I think seven of his nine hits have gone for extra bases this spring. Um, strikes out a lot. At least he did in the past. And, and you know, Bowers probably gets the job because he's out of options, but it may not take long for Bradley to be up. Votto, I'm, I'm actually starting to get really excited about it. He hasn't played much this spring because he's just coming back from COVID and maybe that slows him down to begin the year, but just the changes he's made to his approach went on a tear at the final 29 games last year, eight home runs, 941 OPS. And he said he went back to doing what he did when he first came up, which was, you know, not choking up on the bat, really swinging for the fences more instead of um, selling out for 
contact and controlling the strike zone. Like he's 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 decided he's willing to strike out more to hit more home runs, and it seemed he seemed to put it in practice into practice last yeah. September. At second base, Ty France, Brendan Rodgers, and Josh Rojas. We just spoke about Rojas yesterday on our Sleepers and Breakouts 3.0, uh, as well as Ty France, who we've been talking about a ton because he's just been crushing it in the spring. Brendan Rodgers does have a hamstring injury, and there's talks of him missing potentially the first month of the season. But once he's healthy, he should have an opportunity to play every day for the Rockies. Hopefully. Yeah, unless somebody takes the job and runs with it in his absence. like they, That was the plan. He's finally... like. It's rare the Rockies are as clear about their intentions for their young players as they were with Rodgers this year. And, um, you know, elite prospect. Last time he was ranked as a prospect. Uh, with power, speed, and course field. Like, he's somebody I'm going to have stashed away for when he comes back in a lot of leagues. He could hit 320. Yeah. It, course field, I mean, yeah. That's... Yeah, that's- <laughs> That's that's a positive. When when your park's gonna when your park's giving you a three sixty BABIP, that yeah. that opens the door to a lot of possibilities for your batting average. Yeah. Yeah, and and especially for people who play in leagues with a lot of IL spots, five IL spots, unlimited IL. Uh, Tout Wars the other day, I had unlimited IL spots. I drafted Brendan Rodgers and I drafted Framber Valdez, and I'm whatever. I'm just gonna throw these guys on the yeah. IL, and when they return, hopefully they do something. It's you know high upside plays there going very late in your drafts. Let's lump third base and shortstops together here. Jonathan India, prospect for the Cleveland, for the Cincinnati Reds, rather, and Nico Horner, who is expected to be the starting second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Heading into today, he had only struck out once at 28 at-bats. Horner had. He changed his... um, He changed his setup at the plate to hopefully unlock more power. I know some... Analyst types have been talking about how he never really showed power the little bit he played in the minors, but they they saw the potential for power in him. He's also very fast and has attempted three steals this spring. So I think he could surprise. I think he could be... I think there's similar upside for Horner to like uh, Nick Solak. And India, India I like a lot too. If he wins the second base job, you know, he's listed at third base right now, but if he wins the second base job, good on base skills emerging power showed more at the alternate training site last year, former fifth overall pick. I think there's upside there for sure. Yeah. And even if he's betting near the bottom of the Reds lineup, it's a decent lineup and it's a really good ballpark to hit in. So mm-hmm. I saw the Reds lineup on Tuesday included him playing second base and Eugenio Suarez back at short and Mike Moustakis at third base. So that seems to be what they're going for and, and they're sticking with it for now in the outfield. You wrote up uh, Justin Upton, Miles Straw, Hunter Renfro, Sam Hilliard, Tyler O'Neill, Taylor Trammell, and Michael Taylor. Give me one name here, Scott, the one you're most excited about. Oh, most excited. Well, I, I feel like the one we're not talking about enough is Michael Taylor, who has this is the Royal center fielder. There are no playing time concerns there. Injuries and strikeouts really held him back in Washington, but I think it was in 2017, a 19 homer, 17 steal season with less than full time at bats. And he's changed his stance. He he used to have a big leg kick. It's now kind of just shifting his weight and they, they think it's going to allow him to make a lot more contact. It's had an awesome spring power and speed there playing time. I mean, he's like a last round pick in 15 team five outfielder leagues. And I think he deserves better than that. Um, I could see him being like Kevin Biggio with worse runs and RBI numbers just because the lineup, but like, you know, his projection from ATC, it's nine homers, seven steals, but it's only 313 plate appearances. If you give him 600 plate appearances, that gets him to like 18 homers, 14 to 15 steals. Right. That's entirely reasonable. Yeah. And and I, and and, you know, if there is skill skills improvement with him making his stance more, composed i don't know i know i I do want to mention justin upton too because we never talk about him he's probably going to bat behind rendon and trout so like an amazing rbi position and he had an awesome september too. final 22 games last year 303 with six home runs you know he was bad in 2019 too but he was dealing with a couple injuries yeah he was like he has a long 2019 he has a long track record of being a middle of the order thumper and i think maybe He's being written off too soon here. Amazingly, also only 33 years old. Yeah. Justin Up feels like around. he should be 37. He's been around for... Well, I think he debuted early, right? He was 20 yeah, he was or 21 when he made his debut. Yeah, so he was he was super young. At starting pitcher, Robbie Ray, we talked about recently. Mackenzie Gore, prospect for the San Diego Padres. 
That is Luis Severino with the Yankees, Drew Smiley, Griffin Canning, Tarek Skubal, Yusei Kikuchi, Spencer Howard, Trevor Rogers, and Carlos Rodon. We've talked about a lot of these names recently. Who haven't we talked about? I love those last four names. That is Kikuchi, Howard, Rogers, and Rodon. Love all those guys. Well, let me throw these guys in the mix because we haven't talked about these names. Dalton Jeffries, who has been awesome in the spring for the A's, and he might have just locked up the their fifth starter job. I know AJ Puck was competing for it, but 13 innings pitched, two earned runs, 20 strikeouts. Again, the name there, Dalton Jeffries. Randy Dobnak, the stash man. We talked about him last year. We were streaming him for a little bit. Uh, eight and two-thirds, 13 strikeouts this spring. He has a new slider he's been pitching with. Uh, Logan Webb with the San Francisco Giants. A lot like Dalton Jeffries, he might have locked up the fifth starter job for the San Francisco Giants. 17 strikeouts over 11 shutout innings pitched for the Giants so far. And Jake Arietta, who is old and not very exciting. But if you are into streaming, and if he is inside the top three starters in the rotation for the Cubs, he will face the Pittsburgh Pirates in his first two starts. So Jeffries, Dobnak, Webb, and Arietta. Yeah, my favorite there are Jeffries and, and Webb because I think they have the most upside. Dalton Jeffries, uh, he pitched... In 2019, in the minors, he pitched 86. I'm sorry, he pitched 79 innings, 93 strikeouts to nine walks, which is like the kind of stuff Shane Bieber was doing in the minors. I know that's not compare him to Shane Bieber, but nonetheless, it's it's rare you see that kind of strikeout to walk rate uh, from anybody in the minors. At relief pitcher, TJ Antone, of course, just get healthy, man. Uh, he has been throwing recently for the Cincinnati Reds uh, and still competing for a spot in their rotation. And Freddie Peralta, the optimism is growing in the industry, expected to make a start for the Milwaukee Brewers on Friday. I guess there's still a chance that he could work his way into the rotation as well. Let's wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.